he we literally like kind of started talking and I was like, "Oh, dude, you got we're going to have to save it all for the pod." I was like, "Save it for the pod." He gave me he's, he's like, that's the thing, man. Right? Those, are, those are the, the instructions. The amount of times we've said that through the years now. It's, <laughs> save uh, it for the it's pod. too easy cuz everything it's it's what we all want to talk about. So it's like it just like comes right up and I'm like, "No, we've learned the hard way early on that you just you can't cuz you'll end up saying something that's really great." Um, and then like, you're oh, manufacturing shit. I wish... it when you yeah, say exactly. it. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, I got yeah, you. It's pro- profound, and then you, yeah, you try to recreate it. <laughs> I was going to say we might have oversold profound there, but at least it's funny. <laughs> it may be just entertaining. Welcome to our Film Fathers podcast. The definitive podcast about fatherhood, film, and fatherhood and film. This is Jelani, and with me as always are Needlehead and Son of a Beach, Martin and Brady. You want a prediction about the weather? You're asking the wrong Phil. I'll give you a winter prediction. It's going to be cold. It's going to be gray. And it's going to last you for the rest of your life. Once again, the eyes of the nation have turned here to this. Tiny village in western Pennsylvania. Blah, 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 blah. There is no way that this winter is ever going to end as long as this groundhog keeps seeing a shadow. I don't see any other way out. He's got to be stopped, and I have to stop him. This week, we relive the same day over and over and over in Groundhog Day. But fortunately, we're joined by another guest dad to help us answer the age-old question. What would you do if you were stuck in one place, and every day was exactly the same, and nothing you did mattered? It is the age-old question, right? <laughs> Always. <laughs> uh, well, let's uh, let's welcome our uh, our guest dad this week, a good friend of mine, an Iowa City staple for uh, for those still in the area, and uh, a true legend uh, in his own right. So, uh, Mr. Leighton Smith, thank you for uh, thank you for joining us. Oh, it's a real pleasure. I'm flattered and uh, excited for the conversation, gentlemen. And you were the impetus for uh, for. As our as our guest dads are you you, I I kind of offered a, a thought for you to to ponder what you know to pick a movie that you you loved or or at least wanted to talk about and then um, as we do with all our guest dads you also brought another movie to along for uh, a movie you, you you can't wait to show your kids and uh, we we have a we have a, a common common denominator here for uh, for these two movies and that's one of the uh, the comedy icons. Uh, one Bill Murray. Indeed, I'm a I'm a huge fan, and and uh, candidly, I, I I'm a little embarrassed to say I hadn't even thought about the timing of the movie relative to the date uh, that we're recording <laughs> on here. But it may have been in the back of my mind that uh, y'all are Chicagoland folks, and as you know, I'm sure very well, he's uh, he's a staple in that part of the world. So, I'd love to tell you I knew when Groundhog Day was every year, but I in fact <laughs> do not. So. <laughs> But you, uh, you were, you were pressing it. Little history I could unpack there, if appropriate during the the pod tonight. So it's been a meaningful movie on a lot of fronts for me. So, yeah, as um, when when Brady mentioned that you wanted to do Groundhog Day, I'm like, I've been trying to get away to do Groundhog's Day uh, for for a long time because I, I I agree it's one of, as as I think about it more and more, it's literally one of my favorite movies. It's just I think it's so perfect in many ways and. Uh, it, when I first saw it, I was like, yeah, that's okay. But through the years, as you see so many people like, or so many other movies 
rip it off or do Groundhog's Day with action like Edge of Tomorrow or something. Um, you just realize how brilliant it really is, and the script is uh, there's a lot more going on, I think, than than what it orig originally or initially meets the eye, and I think that's why it's great. And so I'm glad we want to talk about it. Yeah, I feel the same. I think uh, a lot of the great works of art are engageable by people in a variety of ways and different levels, right? And I think it's uh, very approachable and meaningful and enjoyable movie, just like a casual 90s comedy movie that it delivers in that way. But there really are a lot of deep philosophical levels to it. And uh, I remember seeing it as a kid and thinking it was funny. We always just thought Bill Murray was funny and uh, um, kind of re-engaged in my adult life. I had uh, this one night when film scene opened in Iowa City, it was sort of fairly new, uh, that kind of uh, uh, indie theater that we have here in Iowa City, which I enjoy and care a lot about. Um, it was one that they showed, and um, I just bumped into a couple of buddies. Um, there are a couple of friends who happened to be watching it, uh, one of whom I think has been a guest on your pod before, a guy named Nate Kading. And, um, and we had uh, decided to go out for a cocktail after at a spot in town called Pullman, and we ran into some other friends who were about to go to the next showing, because what they were doing sort of ironically is playing it on loop the whole day, right? They played it the first time at 8 a.m., and they played it all the way. The last show was at midnight. So this is maybe, I'm going to say it was like 6 o'clock, and we saw our other friends there. And uh, they're like, oh, we're going to the 7. And I'm like, shit, man, why don't, I I'm going to go again. You want to go? We went at 7. We went and had a drink. And then we went back and saw it again at 11. Um, and it was kind of cool. We would saw it three consecutive times in you know, fair to say, probably different states, you know, at each, each of the three <laughs> times. And um, it turned into uh, a group of people who um, really largely had just met casually, and it became a, uh, a kind of catalyst to us all, turning into a little bit of kind of a movie and book club, and we would gather, and, and I think we're all longing for a little more intellectual conversation, and so sort of an impetus, and... Uh, um, we named ourselves after that uh, illustrious character that I'm sure we'll get to. Uh, and, and the group was called the Ned Ryerson Society. So we gathered on a <laughs> monthly basis and uh, uh, kind of talked about a variety of things. And oftentimes would watch a movie, not always, but uh, oftentimes. So it's kind of sentimental for me. And uh, for a lot of years, I've wanted to go to Punxsutawney and, and be there. I've never done. And, uh, uh, or even in Illinois where it was filmed. Either way, I think they do a little bit on on uh, Groundhog Day there too, so it's still on my bucket list. Yeah, it's uh, fil filmed in Woodstock, Illinois, which is, I would say not far from me, but uh, my assessment of Woodstock is it's, it's far from everything. Um, <laughs> it's just it's just out there. I mean, <laughs> uh, I've been out friends, there before. Yeah, yeah, we have friends <laughs> that live out there, and I have been out there, but didn't even really take the time to soak that part of it up. Um, I know they, or I've read that they have they have multiple different you know notes notations and signs and placards and such like alluding to uh parts of the movie so uh a miss on my part but uh this is the first rewatch for me in quite some time i've seen this movie numerous times but i it's been pretty significant amount of time since and i mean i just it just wasn't hard to be back in love with it it, it really i am uh Layton and th these guys will tell you and anyone else uh i am not not one for what I've come to realize is I don't really enjoy older movies. Um, I, I have a hard time with them, and I just have a hard time. The flaws are too evident. You know, this is definitely an older movie, especially at this point, and, man, it holds up. 
It delivers. It's flawless. Yeah, I think it's so. It's aged well, just like Mr. Murray himself, as well as Ms. McDowell. So. <laughs> um, yeah, well, speaking of, so Bill Murray, obviously, it's hard to envision anyone else, you know, owning owning that role. And he really, it felt like it's almost, it wasn't, but it, it really feels like they could have made that role, like written that movie directly around him. And he is impossible to think that he isn't the reason that movie is great but i mean you have um, to you have to imagine that yeah harold ramus absolutely knew it was going to to bill right no it's not not what i read there's a lot of other actors involved yeah um okay too too many to list but uh yeah i think it was it's i agree with you i think we all you know you tie the ghostbusters fam together and it's hard not Mm -hmm. to think that that has to be connected but um no jelani what uh what do you what were you what were your thoughts so it was a good rewatch because I, I hadn't seen it in a while. And it's it's one of those movies that kind of sneaks up on you, um, especially when you know when it came out. We were, shit, I don't, can't even at the time, 10, 11. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, like, you remember, you know, like, the scenes that you see on the trailer and, and things that are jumping off, like, right in the beginning. But, yeah, it it has a lot more heart to it than I I remember initially, right? Like you think about it being comedy and him doing all the silly stuff and, you know, eating all the food because he doesn't care about anything and, you know, acting ridiculous. But then you think about like all the stuff that he's trying to change and, um, you know, it's, it's like that person that, you know, gets a ton of money right off the beginning or right off the bat. And then they're like, well, how can I actually use this money to, you know, better people's lives rather than just buy everything that I want to see? And, you know, I have powers. Another film that, kind of goes along the same path as um just thinking about bruce almighty right where you get all this power right in the beginning and he's like oh i can do all of these fun things and it's like well you know what what should you really be doing with this power like can you actually make a difference and i think that's kind of what you get to right as you watch the movie and you go through and say okay yeah he's repeating the day and now as after he's done it for (laughs) a while um you realize how long so, did you guys and anybody look it up? I, I saw somebody, I've seen so it before, but I don't ones. remember. Yeah, I don't yeah. remember what it was. So, how long do we think it all was? And what did you what did you read? Yeah. So, so there was one. I think somebody like did a, a brief assessment. They thought it was only like he repeated the day like sixty four times. Yeah. But no, um, that's no way. That's ridiculous. That's right. so little. I'm so thinking sixty four years. Well, somebody did did a deeper dive, and they said it was probably closer to 34 years so 33 years and 350 days in order to do all of the things and get as good at all the elements that he was good at you know learning the piano and um you know becoming like a master jazz musician and all that stuff so (laughs) you know uh i i I saw so many different ones different different amounts of time I, i i didn't even know what to believe but i do think it does make sense. I think they said they show if you broke it out like scene by scene of him actually like having something happen, it's like thirty days, and that's probably where some of the miscalculation comes from. But I think the the people who've attributed it to yeah, how much time it would take to master piano, how much time it would take to you know, kind of do everything along the way, then yeah, you get into a, 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 such an absurd amount of time and that that really changes the dynamic of it um i think that the question that i had obviously that we you know it's like what what do you do right what what do you do if you when you real when you make that realization i mean he obviously they cover a lot of them you know he's breaking the law he's flirting with death he's 
having a one night stand. He's, you know, establishing it, trying to build a relationship, saving lives. I mean, it's it's kind of yeah everything, right? And maybe it is just the amount of time that that kind of skews that perspective. And uh, Jelani, I think that's a good analogy, right? Like you kind of win in the lottery, you think it's you can make the most of it, but yeah, you start to realize like there is positive to be done even if he is doing it over and over again even if he's essentially saving a kid from a tree and and trying to save some a homeless man you know like it's all kind of for not (laughs) you're saving him but you're gonna have to save him again and he's never and he'll never thank you yeah i guess on the the playful light level um i think we all experience you know repetition and boredom and 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 etc in life and i think the scene at the bowling alley where the gentleman says something along the lines of you know, stuck in one place doing the same thing every day and doesn't matter, something like that. And and, and he, the guy at the bowling alley's like, yeah, I hear you, brother, right? Like that uh, <laughs> on a light level, it's that. To me, on a on a deep level, that how long it took was however long he needed to become a whole and well and healthy and beautiful person, you know? And, and I, I, I see it as pretty discrete stages that he goes through a maturation that are you know, I think you can compare it to a lot of frameworks, but, uh, you know, uh, Maslow's hierarchy or whatever, right? I mean, he's a hedonist and a pleasure seeker and, and an asshole, really, you know, when the movie starts. And, um, you know, it's it's uh, <clears throat> real progress that he shows as a person. And it really, I think, why it hit me so hard, maybe when I refound it, you know, in, I don't know, maybe my early 30s. You know, I was at a time when I was, um, not sure I liked how I was living, you know, and, and I had gone through stages where I'd been very ambitious and probably selfish, at least professionally, and then became probably overextended in helping others and community stuff, you know, is the perfect day scene, right? Where he knows just, he, you know, changes the tire, catches the kid, lights the cigarette, all that stuff. i kind of feel like I lived that way for a few years. And then, um, in the end it was acceptance and presence and, in a sense, the love of a good woman that, uh, that saved him, you know, and, and, uh, I think it's a really beautiful allegory along with hilarious, you know, at every turn. So but <laughs> really poignant, really poignant scenes. It's kind of wild how many are in there, you know, speaking of the woman, I obviously am familiar with Andy McDowell from this movie and, and others. I was startled to see how much it could see her daughter, Margaret Qualley yeah. in her face right. in this movie. I was like, wow. I'm like, you know, I've seen pictures. I, I'm aware, but like you can really see some of those, uh, you know, it feels like I, did, I didn't look, but I bet the age is, is not terribly far off. And, and it was like, holy smokes. Like <laughs> she couldn't be more, more definitively her daughter. And um, I thought that was pretty interesting considering how much time has gone by, like you said, when we were 10 when this movie came out. And, and to see now, like, the star's daughter is coming along and doing the same thing and looking ever bit as much as uh, as her mom. Where do we know her daughter from, Brady? The Leftovers. Leftovers is how I, I know her. <laughs> she had a show that my wife watched, uh, The Maid, or something to do with a maid, I think, on Netflix. Um that she was a star of and Mary, Mary really liked it, but I did, I did not watch it, but yeah. Uh, leftovers for Martin and I, for sure. And I think once, I think once upon a time in Hollywood, I think she was in that as well. She is. The, yeah. The You're hundred percent right. Movie. Yeah. Um, um, so my question for you guys is how long do you think it would, you would be able to, to last before you started to try to kill yourself? 
Uh, and how long do you think he he lasted before he tried? Do you think that was year one, or do you yeah. think that was like year ten? I feel like his perspective going in is different than mine. So, like, if if I you know if I woke up tomorrow, I feel like I'm not in the exact same stage of life as he was when he, yeah. when he went into it. Um, feels like he wasn't that far off. He, I, there's obviously you know, Leighton, you kind of alluded to what some of this movie has. There's definitely a darkness to it, and I think they probably yeah. tried hard to stay away from getting too dark. But I think you really can get really dark, and they, you know, the killing yourself is probably as dark as it really got for them. But um, it's, yeah, I mean, you're getting into what, right? Like, are you just going to try killing people just because you know there's like having no implication, no justification, or no repercussions, or no, <laughs> no reason for any of it to matter? Yeah, you feel like Bill Murray's going dark. He's going dark quick. <laughs> yeah, my view is it's kind of the high and low point in the movie, right? I mean, in a sense, you know, this was, I guess my view is life gives you the lessons that you need as long as you need to get them until you learn them, you know? And uh, uh, this guy's a real asshole, right? And he's very self-involved and um, it... Uh, he, he responds in kind as a narcissist when this first happens, right? And there's nothing wrong with hedonism. I sure, certainly enjoy my fair share, but uh, he, he sort of responds by seeking pleasure and then um, really and angrily, really and vindictively. I mean, one of the first days he punches Ned, right? That's one of the first things he does, <laughs> right? Uh, admittedly, he's a bit chaotic and probably scared, but um, yeah. And then, yeah, he's trying to get laid. He's, you know, partying balls, all that kind of stuff. And uh, generally, if that's a primary focus, that's probably a pretty empty existence. And so he kind of hits rock bottom. And it's not till after that and that he can't do it that he starts to progress, right? And so how long would it take to hit rock bottom? I don't know. Probably took me about three years, I guess, Nancy, <laughs> honestly, of being a workaholic and living wrong and uh, not feeling well. And, and so pretty meaningful for me for that reason too but definitely agree it's circumstantial i mean if i had to go work in a factory in a difficult part of the world i don't know how i'd hold up my brain is pretty used to a lot of stimulation and creativity now and i don't know man how long i would last under torture but but punxsutawney's a pretty fine place and uh, i can't imagine a a finer place to spend a long lustrous winter right so uh that's the main change (laughs) when you guys talked about it uh leighton in the uh the Ned Ryerson Society. Do you guys? How, how often did Sisyphus come up? <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, all all the time. We were always talking about the movie. I guess my question would be: Does he does he realize that he can't get out of the loop until he changes his ways, or does he just instinctually change his ways? Because I, I did, yeah, I didn't think so. Right, because yeah. like I guess my fear would be like, how do I know it's going to keep repeating? Right, like you know, maybe for the first like year or something right you like okay this is just my existence but like do you just assume that after that point like after a year like it's always going to continue to repeat or you know like what if what if all of a sudden it doesn't (laughs) and then you have the consequences of everything that you've done part of the psychotic psychosis of it all is is yeah you you probably gave up optimism if if we're if we are looking at somewhere let's say 30 25 30 years optimism left a long time ago that that like oh i might wake up tomorrow at some point you're that that notion in my opinion has probably been beaten out of you but i i always i took it as 
he his progression to grow is through his through doing it all essentially working himself through as Leighton alluded to um you know one of the many stages that that are there but getting to the point i think where his he his happiness is then changed what what or what he needs or thinks needs to happen is then changed exactly and then he's just happier being and unbeknownst to him that day does finally come yeah right. i think i think you're right i think the low point is when he's just completely honest with uh with andy mcdowell's character he's just telling her what's going on at the diner that he that he he's being uh, telling her exactly what he thinks what is happening to him and he's very low the whole time right you can see just in his face he's not happy about anything he just wants it to end and he's and he, he lets his guard down and he's honest with her um but then he starts after that it's when he turns it around right when he does things for his own enjoyment the, the piano uh learning the piano saving everybody's life wants uh, you know a great scene when he's saving the old man's trying to save the old man's life and you know i, I think i cheered up this time watching that for sure when he's in the hospital and he's like you know he doesn't doesn't die today um but yeah. then he, yeah he just starts doing things living his life the way a normal well balanced uh well adjusted person should right like you just Human make every male? day <laughs> right well maybe not maybe not everybody but it's like it's the way we all probably should try to live our lives right like just try to make the most out of each day enjoy each day for what it is not for not because you want to be somewhere else right like he just wants to all he wants to do is get out of punksatani and, and can't enjoy the day for what it is and, and even the job does, right he said right. he said it's like this i'm leaving exactly Everything was about the future. I, I think a quintessential accomplishment is presence and acceptance. You know, he, exactly, and, exactly. and that's um, so. No, I don't think he's knowing what keys he needs to unlock. Jelani, I think it's a great question. I I, I agree with the other other pod members here that uh, <laughs> it just it just happened. I mean, I genuinely think he was pleasantly surprised that morning. He didn't expect that ever to have happened. I think he accepted it and was taking real pleasure and joy and just loving her well in the way that he could. And it wasn't until then, ironically, that he got maybe what he wanted deeply, right? I mean, I do think that's how life works. It is yeah. partially also after he'd had sweet vermouth. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> With a twist. <laughs> With a twist. Uh, uh, but, a, but what I think is great <laughs> about this movie, too, is that in, in no nowhere in the script are a lot of these words that we're, we're saying, right, Leighton, you said, like, just acceptance and presence. It's, they don't spell it out for you, right? Harold Ramis leads you to that. Like this is what this is what you're supposed to be doing, and that's why it's a great. Again, it's a great philosophical movie because it has all these elements to it that makes you think deeply. But it's like wrapped in this, yeah, this silly package. But if you just scratch below the surface, you you realize how brilliant the script really is. So yeah, I, I think it's one of those things, like you said, uh, like you mentioned, you don't you're not going to appreciate it as a kid. But in your 30s, you're like, yeah, this this hits hits harder. It's different. As the kids what's, say these days. What's your interpretation of the bartender? Uh, the gentleman at the festivities that night, uh, it doesn't say much, maybe nothing at all, uh, but you might remember when Bill Murray first encounters him, he asks for another drink, and I think he says with booze in it this time. And uh, uh, I've got my own, my own take, but I don't know if you noticed him um, and how he interacts with the characters. I didn't necessarily catch that, but I, I do remember that line, and it does it does seem to imply there is some some knowledge that is uh, 
I, I think of him as an, an, an omniscient uh, figure uh, who's aware of what's happening and sees the absurdity of the guy as a character. Uh, someone mentioned that to me once and I was a rewatch. I think it's brilliantly acted. I don't know uh, who the actor is, but... Uh, he does make a couple of expressions along the way. He definitely, definitely has some like hesitations and like hears something and like they, they they make a note of showing that. I didn't necessarily put that together uh, in the watch, but I, I I don't disagree with you. And yeah, when he's is that the same bartender when he's ordering the sweet vermouth and mm-hmm. and they show that scene over and over. Yeah, exactly. It's as if he's seen the iterations and knew that they were disingenuous or something. You know, by the way he reacts. I like I like that. Yeah, maybe he's the one who did it did it to him in the first place, right? You know, this is this guy that... pulling strings. He's the Morpheus <laughs> inside the I'll, Matrix. Always always <laughs> assume it's the bartender. Um, That's a whole thing. That... I'm not prepared to have a big talk about that, but that'd probably be a whole cast you could do sometime on themes around bartenders because they're uh... like The Shining. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's funny is uh, when he when he first asked about the bartender, I swear the very first bartender that popped in my head was the guy at the old Western Saloon in Vacation that uh, that like he <laughs> they pulls out the double barrel shotgun. Uh, I don't know why. I have no idea why. When you said about the bartender, that's the image that popped in my head. I haven't seen that movie and since we did it for the pod a couple years ago. But um, <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, who? That was uh, episode number two, I believe. <laughs> Was it that early? I remember it being like Labor Day Memorial Memorial Day. Yeah, I think that um, was pretty early. The uh, I will say one of those one of the a couple things that have always it's like if I hear it or it's like oh Groundhog Day. Uh, the primary being I got you, babe. Yeah. Uh, the the song that has been I would say immortalized. I mean I'm not going to pretend to be a Sonny and Cher fan. Obviously very aware of them, but. Not uh, not necessarily my my bag, but man, this song is I. If I ever hear it, I would assume that I'm living in Groundhog Day. <laughs> it's the perfect song choice. There's no better because it's just straight it's repetitive. Of, well, that, but it's also just really annoying. Uh, it's an <laughs> annoying song to wake up to every day. Um, but it's not the wor- It's not like the worst song in the world. But it would be if you had to hear it for you know thirty. Chumbawamba. <laughs> Exactly. That's not the worst song in the world either, but it would be if you yeah. so that would you know if that was remade if this was remade now that might be the song. Yeah, I'd break that clock probably. I would have broke that alarm clock probably a lot faster. <laughs> that was a great great. So I watched this with my kids uh, this time, uh, just to because I thought they were ready for it. Um, and yeah, the, the parts that they left at the most are that the alarm you know the alarm cl- alarm clock breaking. Um, and when he punched Ed Ryerson, we have to rewind it and watch that again, right? Like that's what that's what appeals to the uh, to the twelve year old. Well, that's one of those, um, and and kind of circling back here to uh, the society's uh, inspiration. Um, that that's another one that like you hear like Phil Phil Connors and like <laughs> it, like that just for me it's like is that the most popular is that the line the most recognizable line from this movie? I, it might be. It's not necessarily the one that makes me laugh the most. Um, but, but man, he, that's such a perfect, <laughs> perfect when he, character. When he hugs him and says, oh, I've missed you. <laughs> Do you have to be anywhere? Do you have to be anywhere for an hour? I don't know what you're doing right now, but can you cancel it? <laughs> oh, that's, that is perfect Bill Murray, right? That's like, 
That's uh, and uh, you're not going to believe this, but it was ad libbed. So yeah, yes. <laughs> there, there you go. I mean, it's it's like him in Ghostbusters, uh, just being uh, being very quintessential Bill Murray, uh, and I love I love that scene. <laughs> it really is. So uh, was it just the randomness of him, of Ned Layton? Was that in terms of being the inspiration for your? Uh, for your underground society, or are you? Uh... Oh, I think it was just a, a pleasure <laughs> that it was. Uh, it's such a an entertaining character. I mean, um, and the name is memorable enough that when you say it, you know, for sure, it just brings you a little bit of joy when you think about it. Right? <laughs> so, tried to date your sister until you told me not to. You know, there's just everything you said was just like uh, very repeatable, right? And I, I think my favorite is when he. Inter- interferes after she buys uh, Bill Murray on the auction and you know, where are we going? And she said, oh, let's not spoil it. And then his laugh <laughs> that he does, Wah! I don't even know how to imitate it, but uh, it's... Oh, I it, got uh, that. Very <laughs> well. Oh, I got... Exactly. You got it, man. So, yeah, just, he's just pure gold as a character. And a, um, Actually, now that we're talking about him, I'm remembering, we had talked about it, Jeremy, I listened to um, what you guys had done on sneakers, and you probably remember he was a great character there, the kind of dorky scientist right. that she goes on the date with. So, yeah, um, I don't know who that actor is, but I assume uh, everyone mentions Ned Ryerson <laughs> whenever they see him at the Target or wherever yeah, yeah. he lives. So, <laughs> Steven Tobolowski, def- yeah, he's a uh, his his his. I guess his claim to fame is he's like the epitome of of that guy actor. Right, yeah. like you except, see him and you're like, except he is, guy. he's Ned. He's Ned, though. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. think he's that guy. I think he's. I think he's. <laughs> he locked into one that can't be, can't be forgotten. But, uh, you know that that might just be me. Uh, actually, uh, Jelani, I had a a note that you were the inspiration of a, a scene in this movie as well, as uh, as Phil's just crushing the Jeopardy uh, questions. <laughs> I was like, oh, Jelani's showing off. I literally was like, Jelani's showing off his Jeopardy skill, impressing the old folks. Hey, I would do it in a heartbeat. <laughs> it was, uh, that was that was quintessential Bill Murray, too, right? That, when he looks over and says that. He makes eye contact. Yeah. He makes eye contact on the one and says it before the question. It's so Chef's good. Kiss. So it's perfect. A, and she's, like, terrified of it, you know? Yeah. Like her, she acts that scene perfectly, too. Yeah. <laughs> And they do the they do the the per, the correct applause when somebody clears a category. They really they give it to him. Fucking awesome. <laughs> On uh, that note, he says one of the, when he's debating with Andy McDowell in the diner, and she's like, ah, you know, a, you know, edu- education in a Catholic school, I can assure you, you're not God, right? And he says, hey, you know, maybe there is no God. Maybe there's just people who know what's going to happen before it happens, or something like that. I don't remember the exact line, but. Uh, I thought about that a lot over the years too. Like what, uh, um, when you practice something, you know, when you know how it's going to go, you know, there, there's, uh, there's a lot of power in that, you know, and that's a godlike quality. That's all he's doing. He just can predict what's going to happen because he's seen it before. And all of us are that way, you know, um, anything that we do, you know, a bunch of different times, you know, you know how it's going to go. Just like you guys do on the spot, having done a bunch of them and so on and so forth. So it's, I thought even that one was a good one, a reflection on what the divine might be. So father, Martin, um, I, Martin, I wanted to quit, test your knowledge here. One of the tidbits I saw, uh, meant nothing to me, but it, uh, I figured 
and Johnny, you as well, but the Ramus had asked for the, he wanted the radio announcer at the beginning of every day on there to be uh, Chicago radio legend Steve Dahl. Yeah. Well, you know Steve who Dahl. that is? Yeah, yeah. I met him. Oh, I believe it. <laughs> um, but his Twice uh, last his, year. His, <laughs> his partner uh, didn't understand like the gist, and so they opted out. And so I was like, "Oh, I didn't. I, I it meant nothing to me." I'm like, "I," I but I, I literally made a note of it because I'm like, "Oh, I bet Martin will know exactly who this is." And yeah, absolutely. I didn't. I was gonna say I didn't think that sounded anything like Steve Dahl. <laughs> so, um, um, they were they went for like the wacky morning radio guys instead of uh, Steve Dahl, of who's a little more. He was a little more. He was a little edgier. You know, he was more like. Uh, wasn't not, I wouldn't, don't want to say shock shock completely because he wasn't that you know edgy, but he was he was a Chicago guy and and yeah sure. and pretty early on had attitude had the Chicago attitude so <laughs> in the seventies and stuff so yeah he's he's a legend in Chicago for sure. Interesting, yeah. I, I I didn't really know much. I figured you guys would be the best best chance to have uh, a little insight. And with with it filming in Woodstock, that makes sense probably in terms of having a local local talent and someone who like you said is well known, um, but. Yeah, I just figured I would uh, I would shout it out because it uh, it did not mean shit to me. <laughs> <laughs> I also love Chris Elliott's character. Uh, I was uh, just gonna say the this. same thing, dude. He, I, I love Chris Elliott. So I don't know. I, yeah, I, I don't think there's anything he's been in that has been bad. Um, <laughs> and there's probably is, but he was in the the show called I think Get a Life in the yeah, 90s it was too. awesome on fox yeah it was, it was so it was, good was, and i don't know why it was very short-lived but um I, I thought me and my dad were the only two people that watched it <laughs> <laughs> uh, well let me ask you this jelani um do you know have you ever heard of handsome boy modeling school as a is that as a, as snl sketch no it's a it's a band it's like a, a a group of djs and or a band um okay. but they uh steve doll um you know, it came it came from the show Get a Life. So yeah, never never mind. So somebody out there listening to this pod's like, Yeah, I haven't heard of Handsome Boy Bottom School in forever. But anyway, um yes, Chris Elliott I thought was was pretty perfect in this. I'm um, a fan. He didn't actually do that much and that was not okay, much. but I just he's 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 a good uh he's good to be there. Um and I I, I like exactly for that reason. Get a life, I'm a fan. Brady, you mentioned uh local talent. Did anybody recognize the uh the newlyweds um i yeah. did i double checked because i was like holy shit <laughs> i've never seen michael shannon like happy on film i 100 same thing i'm like i think that's michael shannon and Lindsay's like who's that and i showed her a picture she's like oh my god yeah <laughs> he looks why does he look bad now wrestlemania <laughs> we're yeah, totally gonna be random. there anyway I didn't necessarily get that part, but I was the seeing him. It really kind of blew my mind. I'm like, I mean, obviously, you know, you come across people's early. Yeah, roles, you got to start but, somewhere, right? But like, like, like Sam but, Rockwell in uh, is that his name? Ninja Turtles in Ninja Turtles. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Take the early role you can get, and maybe it's Spurns. But I just was like, dude, I seriously, Michael Shannon smiled on screen. I have evidence. <laughs> He's come so far. Yeah, that was a that was a surprise when I saw him. I was like, "Wait, what?" Because again, like you said, early start looked way younger, but it's still the same guy, right? Like you could see yeah. it in in his face and everything. So I thought that was funny as well too. Late and I wanted I so yeah I think Martin kind of touched on it earlier. I think we I I appreciated this being 
kind of what you what you wanted to talk about. I, this movie, it's good, man. It's so good. It, it holds up. Mar- I'm sorry, Martin. I don't know if you said. Did your kids? Did it? Did it? Did they think it was funny? Did they think it was good? Or did they? Was it a little lost on them? Yeah, it was. They they liked it. Um, I would. I don't want to. I don't think that they loved it. But yeah, they they kind of were jumping around. I kind of had to tell them to pay attention a few times into it. But yeah, there's there's a lot. Um, it's it's a lot for a 12 and a 10 year old, you know. Um, I think at this point, so they might be a little young for it. 20, 20 years um, to, ahead of the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, or even just, a, I think in a few years they might enjoy it a little bit more. So yeah, it's yeah. Just one give of those them 10 where, years. Yeah. Yeah. Or even even by 16, I feel like Colin would enjoy it more than you know than at 12. Yeah, I, um, I just think alluding to Layton's point, I think there is a there's a maturation where I think in a little bit of a lived life where you can maybe appreciate some of these yeah. things differently. Um, There's a different Bill Murray movie, though, that uh, yeah. that they do really love. Yeah. And, <laughs> that you can't uh, wait to show your kids? <laughs> Leighton, uh, tell us a little bit about why you chose this movie, the other, the, our, our other movie this week, uh, for a movie you couldn't wait to show your kids, and maybe you have at this point, but... Uh... Yeah, What About Bob was one, and it's, it's also a little personal, um, but, uh, um, you know, I had... Um, earlier in my life had pretty, pretty material struggles with depression. And, uh, one of the things that was important for me to do is be able to talk to the kids about it. And, uh, we always have, um, and I think there's, there's a pretty strong string of OCD that runs through the family too. I don't know, really diagnosed or treated or anything like that. But, uh, um, and the first time we watched this, we were just kind of on a kick of, they wanted to watch movies that I watched when I was a kid. You know, um, and so it just came up that way. It wasn't really planned or anything, um, but uh, it was. It had been kind of a hard day, and back then they would argue more about what we watched, so we'd take turns. And uh, my daughter Vivian picked it. Not really even. I don't think any of us really know. I mean, I knew what it was, but it had probably been. <laughs> it probably been ten years since I'd seen it, and it was just the most like you know, cathartic, you know, therapeutic, uh, thing that we'd ever watched. And it really just, um, I mean, he was just so funny. Right. And there's probably ways in which, you know, I'm kind of an uptight father figure. Right. And so they they were kind of resonating around that a little bit and, um, and definitely just, yeah, I mean, just his intense paranoia, but how approachable he is and all that. And, and so, um, it wasn't exactly planned. It just sort of happened, and it was a really useful and honestly meaningful thing that we that we watched together. So a lot of fun memories, and like I was telling you, Jeremy, I think, I don't know, we probably watched that, I don't know, at least a couple times a year. And a lot of times we, we kind of, somebody suggests it maybe when it was a hard day, you know, because it's just uh, really, really. How old, how old was your daughter when you first saw it? Uh, they would have been really young, like... Um, the kids would have been like five, eight, and eleven, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think those are that, that, that's about about good age for it. Because yeah, I think Bill Murray's character for kids in in uh, Bob in in, mm-hmm. in uh, What About Bob is just great. I, I feel like they they could uh, uh, they could find something that they like in this movie um, more. I think than even Groundhog Day for sure. Oh, big time! Yeah, I yeah. think one of the scenes know. that stood out a lot early on the. When when he goes for the ride in the car with Anna, the daughter, 
and and he starts to build rapport, right? About like what are they? What is she worried about, or what bothers her? Yeah. And yeah. he's like, "Me too, me too," you know. <laughs> and I think that's a good point. I think that's, you know, part of the frustration, right? That Dreyfus is feeling the whole time is he is he's able to build rapport with every single person somehow, his daughter, his son that he can't Dreyfus can't connect with them and outside of using a puppet a figurine right in terms of like being a therapist and in the car yes he's really he's relating to Anna in the bedroom he's relating to the son like or you know helping him dive it's like he cuts through Murray cuts through all that and it's easy to see the frustration level on dad on dad's like he can't do that at all he just doesn't have that that wavelength and the simplicity of Murray. I, I haven't seen this movie in maybe within a couple of years of when it came out, I would say. I mean, I definitely had seen it. I remember I, I knew it. I remember liking it, but I just was completely falling to the wayside. So I watched it, rewatched it last night, and that's the first time in a long time and laughed very hard in numerous spots that I didn't. I'm no chance. I didn't remember the lines. I didn't remember much. I, I did remember the gist of the movie, but. Yeah, it's still it's still delivered to me, and I'm glad to hear that uh, Martin, that your kids uh, enjoyed it. Uh, Leighton, that your kids enjoyed it. Uh, Jelani, did your kids watch it with you, or no? We didn't. Uh, <laughs> we didn't sit down and watch it just because. Again, when uh, you have the the early '90s PG, <laughs> it's not the same PG that they're used to. So, <laughs> kind of like held back on that one, and I watched it uh, by myself, um, and so. It was just interesting again to kind of see like how we dealt with mental health back then. And I uh, initially, honestly, I felt uncomfortable, like the way that everybody was dismissive of Bob and his issues. And I was like, guys, like he's got some issues that he's got to deal with and nobody really wants to help him. Like they're all just like running from him. And then, um, then I also felt like nervous for Dreyfus because you know this guy who has these issues just all of a sudden shows up at like your private residence and is like constantly calling and does all these like steps to like kind of find you and you're just like okay now do I need to fear for my life like and you could see some of that but you know ultimately thankfully it ends up in a better place because he you know he is able to make those connections as you guys mentioned and be able to cut through all the the tension that everybody has but um yeah it was it was a little unnerving in the beginning, but then, you know, yeah. you, you see I, the humor in it. I think you're exactly right. Like, you, you kind of, especially as uh, as you watch it as an adult, same kind of thing. You you can, I think you can identify with both Bob and Dr. Leo Marvin. As as an adult, I can a lot more. I remember as a, as a kid, I, I watched this movie and I didn't. I didn't love it that much. I was like, oh, that was an okay, kind of like a silly movie. I didn't think it would actually anything would happen, anything remotely like this. I'm like, yeah, you can just get rid of them, right? Like, there's a, you, you could find a way to get rid of them. But as I, watch, as I watched it again this time, I thought, yeah, everything he did is probably maybe how I would try to handle it too, but there's, you're not, it, it's, it's, it's how it might work out, right? Like, if Bob wanted to come and see him, this is how it, this is how it might work I, out. I feel like you maybe call the police at some point, but yeah. <laughs> Like, all right, but they might say, but you're his patient. <laughs> yeah, right. right. Maybe, maybe call the police. A little more uh, narcissistic and, and, and focused on, uh, you know, a Good Morning America interview. But um, yeah, but I like sympathize. What I want to say is I sympathize with both of them a little bit more, right? Like you sympathize with Bob because he is just a guy trying to 
trying to get by and he has like the like the wife says he has some problems but he's he's generally harmless and it's probably true but yeah jelani like you mentioned there's this could be psychopath that's sleeping with your son like i would never allow that you know like as a dad that would right. not happen <laughs> and you would kind of feel like you're going crazy because everyone else is telling you to chill out and it does suck that this guy is relating to your children much more than you are that that dive scene um I think it was was very well done. You know, just yeah. the way that Bill Murray played it was great. When he's like, "All right, what are you doing? Slow down." You know, like, "Where, where are you going? Don't go to the edge. Don't do that." <laughs> let's, he's let's like, wait my, a "Yeah, bit. my my edge is right here. My edge is like here. five boards from uh, the edge." Yeah, I was dying. That's my favorite scene. It's really movie. good, there, was, and that's I think I don't remember it. I didn't remember s- it before. You see a lot of like, there's a lot of heart in those scenes and you can even say that about groundhog day too there's some really romantic and and heartfelt scenes that are living in the middle of this like dark and comedic uh movie and i it's it's if you can if i think you kind of said it earlier martin like if you scratch the surface there's like it's all the stuff underneath it and i think there is a there is more there and i think it's it's it makes it more enjoyable and probably why these movies carry so much weight still with us not just for nostalgic purposes but because we they're really good there's something there there's structure 90s 90s were the golden era of cinema i want to say i always say <laughs> oh leighton might might agree with you or eh, i don't know i fan oh i you know i'm not as informed as you gentlemen but uh yeah i think there were there were some classics there that have stood the test of time pretty well i think uh these two that we're talking about are great examples that there's real layers to it but it was also just could be pleasant just to watch and relaxing you know as opposed to always a challenge piece or such a dopamine hit, you know, approach or, or such an on the nose contrived, you know, issue film or something like that. You know, these, totally. um, there are a lot of layers to these. Um, and, um, I think quite nuanced though. Yeah. I hadn't really thought about it from a lens of, like you were saying Jelani, of it actually being scary, you know, it, it, um, which I think is a really valid perspective. You know, I, I, uh, I think what you would find really approachable for it as a kid's movie is, you know, he really is just a child. He, you know, failed to age in a healthy manner, right. For a variety of reasons and had a lot of attachment issues and, and, uh, but you know, early on, he's got the scene where he's, he's asking him, you know, for help, you know, and he's like, I want, I want, I want, I'm doing the work, give me, give you know, me, I'm I doing need. the work. <laughs> and that one just always gets my kids. Cause he just, he just goes really childish. I mean, really, I'm doing the work. I'm doing line. the work. I want, I want. <laughs> and then, and then by the time he kind of gets his way and he's so happy, um, and they're there, I, I think my favorite scene is when he comes back the next day, um, to the lake place and they're just, they're, Leo Marvin shocked. And he's like, I know we, and then Bob says, I know we can't work, but let's get the friend thing going. <laughs> just, uh, oh, man, that's uh, probably my favorite, favorite line. Uh, well, that was with the table scene. The interesting uh, part I saw was that Dreyfus and Murray, like, hate each other and hated each other during filming. It was not good. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah. That works. There was, they've both, like, they both said it, both in interviews. It's no secret. It's very much a thing. Like, it was good. Like, uh, Murray apparently, according to multiple stories, was like a huge asshole and like threw shit. Like, he was like abusive to Dreyfus and and some other people. And yeah, and it was yeah, it was. So it's funny because I, in hindsight, I was reading it. And I'm like, maybe maybe Bob really got to Dreyfus on a personal level. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> 
Brilliant. <laughs> I fucking hate this guy. <laughs> but they both enjoy the movie, but Yeah. What you were Leighton, what you were mentioning about uh him just being a big kid. There was that scene right after he does that, Gimme, gimme I need and when he says, Meet me, you know, I'm gonna call you at four o'clock and then he goes, Can we make it three thirty? I'm like, that is exactly <laughs> yeah, what my kids totally, do to me. Yeah. All the fucking time. Yeah. It's like you know, four four is good, four's better, right? When you, <laughs> you give them, you give them an inch, they ask for a mile, right? Like you, you finally you succumb to what they want and then and that's uh, totally made me think I'm like, Oh my god, my this is this is what every child is like. Well the the funniest part about that is like Bob would literally have nothing to do until four. He's literally there strictly waiting for that phone call. So to even ask for any other time, like it's just so funny to me. Like it, any sort of ask, ask there is just over the top, but it's, it's a phenomenal line. Um, and yeah. going back to the dark part, Leighton, I actually made a note too, uh, kind of seconding Jelani. I was like, I, I was watching it thinking like, man, I don't know. And this is maybe just a fearful parent viewpoint, but Watching Sigmund, you know, talking about his beats being scared about how obvious death was. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. We haven't had those conversations, right? Like as a yet in terms of uh, parent to child. And so like exposing them to it in this, I'm like, am I throwing that right at them? So they're just like now pondering it on their own or is it like, does it open that door? And then you can talk a little bit more. But um, yeah, you know, I, I definitely think it's there. I think it's the latter because you got all these different personalities and the kids can respond to them and observe and, and, and affiliate with them conversationally, you know, and, and yeah. uh, again, he kind of opens that up with Anna in the car and um, yeah. And of course with the son as you're, as you're mentioning. And um, um, I think it's really useful in that regard. I, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I think they both helped each other there. Right. Cause you could see it on, on Bob's face when he's hearing, someone else talk about being scared of dying he's almost like hey i feel this way too but maybe maybe it's not so bad like if this little kid's feeling this way it's okay that i feel this way and they they seem to both um yeah it makes you feel less alone when you're able to share it with somebody and they don't judge you for it or tell you that you're wrong you know he was just listening and accepting it and offering his own kind of experience with and same thing with um with the daughter in the car he was just saying yeah i have that too so yeah, yeah. whenever you feel less alone i think that's what therapy is <laughs> you know generally <laughs> like they, they were basically just um having therapy sessions but it, with a friend you know right well yeah. said fear and shame the most intimate emotions you can share and and he was and how quickly yeah. you can do that with people is just very approachable and it's how transparent yeah. he is and it's just even it's hilarious so yeah be vulnerable I love also there's so many little subtle ones that are just like the perfect kind of ridiculousness of funny like he prefers sleeping southeast facing southeast yeah. is one of my favorites like what is that what does that no even mean why the man like, does that even exist in the world like that that was that was one of my favorites the whole table scene of course about all the particularities there and just the sounds he's making out of uh, you know pleasure oh um, yeah I mean so many good ones the the, I mean, the don't hassle me, I'm local t-shirt, you know, the next morning. It's just like... It's so over the top. It's great. He's a friend of mine, A friend of mine um, had that exact... Uh, that was his costume for Halloween. He had that shirt with the, with the fish around his neck. It was perfect. And this was like, I don't know, 15 years ago. <laughs> so he was ahead of his time. One of the things that I, I laughed at was I recognized the daughter um, when she appeared on screen. Catherine Irby. And I looked it up because I'm like, 
like Law and when, Order or something? Well, yeah, from Law and Order, but also from Mighty Ducks 2. Oh. She she is in Mighty Ducks 2, which is filmed uh, two years after this, 1993, or 94, sorry, three years. And she's Emilio Estevez's love interest because she's the other coach. And I was like, wait a minute, how old was she then in this? She's only 10 years younger than Julie Haggerty. Yeah, yeah, she, she did not look young. In, in <laughs> right. This, not no, high school I think, age. I think you said she was like 26 playing a teenager. Yeah. So yeah. That sounds um, right. A couple years ago, yeah, Hollywood style. <laughs> Which I just thought was hilarious. I'm like, yeah, she probably shouldn't have been the teenager. And then uh, Betty. I don't know if you guys remembered Betty, the, the um, service, the answering service. Oh, oh yeah. So, yeah. She looks vaguely familiar. So, did you guys ever watch the show Ghost Rider on PBS? I, I WTTW? did watch that. Yeah, when I was a kid. Yeah. So, she's she's Grandma Jenkins from that. And then she was also Donovan McNabb's mom in all of the Chunky Soup commercials. Oh, there you oh, go. Oh, yeah. That's totally right. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> yeah. I think my head just exploded, man. That's going to be where I, where I know her from, not the PBS show. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, she's she's had a big role, you know, in other things. But that that chunky soup ad like really put her over the top. Everybody's yeah, like, oh, agreed. we see her all the time now. Agreed. It was uh, it was a fun fun to put fun to put these two movies uh, together, uh, Leighton. So I, I, I personally thank you for uh, for the recommendations and and what you brought. So, um, any closing thoughts? You know. Well, first of all, thank you. It's been a real pleasure, and uh, I'll continue to listen with great interest. Um, and as far as the movies, you're welcome. I think my thoughts um, really are are that uh, a lot of the good things, you know, can have a lot of layers to them, right? I, I, and I say I, I've always thought uh, smart and intelligent often has layers of humor and all sorts of things. It doesn't have to be so pretentious and presentational so as far as i'm concerned uh uh groundhog day for instance is a more philosophical and usefully philosophical movie maybe than any that i've seen uh certainly more than some are that are really art house and trying so hard you know and so um yeah and i would say also my other one other comment is and i'm sure you guys have a lot of movies you rewatch often uh but I've got a handful of books and a couple of movies that I rewatch pretty regularly, at least annually. And I've really enjoyed and appreciated kind of knowing myself better by measuring myself against a thing that doesn't change, you know? And uh, in a way, that's really kind of what the movie is obviously talking about, that he's reliving the same day. But uh, um, uh, Groundhog Day is, is one of the, I guess, three movies I do that with. And and uh, I kind of take notes. I've got an old notepad from the college era, you know, where I take some notes and I like to read back what I thought about it then and stuff like that. And um, the spirit of this being a fatherhood um, pod, you know, I'm planning to pass those notes along someday to the kids and uh, invite them to continue the same. So I don't know this, why this one hits all the nerves exactly as much as it does or why Bob did, but uh, um, I think a lot of it has to do with Bill Murray. I mean, a ton of layers uh, from him and been fun to see him later in life here do some different kinds of stuff the uh shooter should have looked it up but what's the beautiful one where he's in tokyo lost in translation lost in translation yeah fun to see him in a role like that so anyway beautifully said Uh, yeah yeah. 
<laughs> don't even know where to go after that. So, uh, <laughs> as always, watch out for that first step. It's a doozy. Subscribe wherever you listen and spread the word. Thanks, and go to bed. Thank you.